call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 115 of Call a Friend of the Podcast, where usually two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Danica Tiernan, watched Live by Night and Mona Lisa, two films tenuously connected through author Dennis Lehane. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Call a Friend of Podcast. Drop us a line there if any feedback or recommendations. Peace. Yeah, so anyway, I've decided to start a, a lifelong feud with Mike Rice. Really? That seems uh, a bit too much. You think? Lifelong? Well, whose life? You don't think he's going to live that long? I don't know. I don't have a lot of faith in either of you. You doubt my mortality? I don't know, actually. You're quite healthy these days. Yeah, I'm doing all right. I got to stop listening to those health podcasts, though. Like what? Uh, like, you'd listen to, you know, Peter, a, a, a medical doctor whose specialty is uh, longevity called Peter Atia, doing the round of podcasts, just telling people all the stuff they have to do. And you can't do everything. What sort of stuff are we talking about? So he'd be saying, he'd be saying, don't have more than seven drinks a week ever. Don't have more than two drinks uh, a day ever. That's kind of what I do. Yeah, so you're doing well. Yes. But, like, that just seems... But, no, to be fair, he's a good guy. He says, yeah, but of course you have days where you don't do that, which that's probably where I'm at as well, fair enough. But then he says other things like uh, you got to practice getting out of a pool, not by the ladder. I don't know. It bugs me. (laughs) What can I say? It bugs me. (laughs) We started with men's health. What's next? Crypto? What are we doing? No, we're not doing any of that shit. (laughs) I'm trying to stop listening to fucking awful american podcasts the only podcasts i want to listen to anymore are ones that make me laugh at the moment those are uh, the matt and shane one and are you garbage makes me laugh quite a bit and uh decent movie podcasts which are what are the decent movie podcasts i sometimes listen to blank check but we're like the no i don't like blank check. we're like the risque version of that I like ours a lot. I hate saying it, but I include that in the edit. Because I'll uh, do... Uh, there's a one that I'm quite enjoying called You Must Remember This that I'm listening to from way back when it started. But I also listen to the new episodes, which is about the history of Hollywood, which I quite like. And there's another one that I quite like. Two more that I like. Two pod recommendations for our listeners, guys. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's The Video Archives podcast is quite good. It's good to get into it when I can, when the movie sounds interesting enough, I'll watch the movie beforehand, but I don't always do it, and I am starting to quite enjoy it. I was listening to it here and there, and I disagreed with uh, their rating of uh, Straw Dogs, but then I went back on the recommendation of my mate, and I quite enjoyed that, and the one other, what's the one other? I've said, you must remember this, video archives, call it friendo, obviously. Hmm, I'm sure there's another. Oh, yes, the evolution of horror is pretty good. I like that. Nice. I'll check uh, I'll check those out, especially be, that call it friendo. That buyer beware, good. in evolution of horror, you might run into, like, woke bollocks, for want of a better thing. Anyway. And also here, you'll get the same. Cause Indeed, you will, we're, yeah. We're both allies, but... Uh, the one film podcast I was going to recommend, is, it looks like it's not even really a, net, a podcast. It's called G-I-B-O-P, Gibop, Guy Bop. Is this a joke? 
No, it's deadly serious. So, is it good? It's okay. It's basically a way to pirate audio commentaries off of films. Oh hell yeah! So what this is, someone, (laughs) a fucking legend, some some saint out there has ripped audio commentaries, and every day he releases another audio commentary on this feed. Tell me the latest. Gibop. Okay, the latest ones are Stand by Me. Today, nice. I know that film very well. Yesterday was Candyman. I know that film very well. Monday was Requiem for a Dream. Dude, what the fuck? It's proper, like it's and like so. If there are multiple audio commentaries on a film, yeah. Seventh of May was the. Do you have a favorite movie uh, commentary? I mean, I've we've talked about this before at some point. I used to enjoy the old Kevin Smith ones back in the day. Do you know what's a great one? John Carpenter and Kurt Russell talking about the thing. Right. They're, yeah, I've listened uh, to that. Drinking whiskey, smoking cigarettes. It's very cool. Well, yeah. I, I'll tell you one audio commentary I listened to the first 20 minutes of, and then I had to give up because I couldn't I couldn't take it anymore. Is it, it Live was, by Night? It was Live by Night. <laughs> ben Affleck and two of the guys who worked on the film. Oh, uh, I dude. just couldn't, I couldn't handle the audio commentary. That's a, bit of, uh, that's, that's a preview too far. Yeah, I only made it 20 minutes. And the reason was because it's so depressing. He is so depressed. Affleck just sounds miserable. Sad and I Affleck. think that's part of the problem of the film. Well, he was like, leading up to a detox around yeah, the time. Yeah, he checked into detox. He checked into detox. I've got, never checked into detox. <laughs> he, he, got, he got the snip in 2017. Yeah, just before he uh, released that film about him being a basketball coach that's an alcoholic. Yeah, the way back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that in the cinema. It's all right. I recall. But, you recalled me talking about it. Yeah. Oh, I right. I recall you mentioned Good memory. It. I remember you saying you went to see it. But yeah, so like this all was at a period of time where he was clearly drinking very heavily. And he just, in the film, he looks a bit sort of worn down and battered. It was all of like, he did, he was in the process of doing Gone Girl just before he made uh, Live By Night. He was going to be Batman, of course. He was going to doing the the role that ended up with robert pattinson yeah later on so he, he was supposed to direct the that's right Batman that's right film. he was supposed to write the script too yeah which and again writing the script and directing and acting is not maybe, a good fit for ben affleck yeah maybe three things is too many before we go on to that i want to talk just a tiny bit i watched a film that you highly 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 recommended called asbestos the beasts i have to say i thought it was Absolutely fucking excellent. And I didn't know this before watching it, but the director of that film, the writer-director of that film, is the writer-director of probably my favorite Spanish movie of all time. So I went, I watched that the same week, last week, El Reino. So I just wanted to come on and talk about it just a tiny bit because, like, The Beasts isn't just a good Spanish movie. It's a good anywhere movie. It's so interesting the way it's structured and paced uh it's probably spoilers hinting spoilers for the beasts here but you can see both sides of the argument in it can't you yeah maybe okay we're uh... the brothers are villainous for sure and to think i watched it the same week i watched deliverance by the way because they're some some deliverance boyos but they they do have a point Okay, so just to give a brief summary again of what The Beast is, there's a French couple that are kind of semi-retiring to the northwest of Spain. In Galicia, in and they've deep bought, Spain, rural Galicia. They've bought like, I've been a there. rural house and they're growing vegetables and they get into this argument with these two local idiot brothers, one of whom is uh, quite fierce and... The other one's retarded. Yeah, the other one, has he's got special needs, basically. Got he got kicked head. in the head by a horse. 
and so it just everything escalates and escalates. But you think that the guy? What, what's your argument that they're that they have a point? Yeah. Well, the argument that they make. They, well, you mentioned that. I'm sure you would agree with me had you seen it uh, fully with some good subtitles. To be honest, not that you didn't understand what was no, going on. No, but there on. was, yeah, I mentioned there was one scene where I was like, yeah, I could have done with, like, English subtitles on it. Well, their, like, their argument is, our family has lived like shit forever, and we would like to get rid of this plot that would have given us a sizable sum of money, it would have been enough to set ourselves up in a city. But so, those, the other French guys wouldn't sell up. They're the only ones, apart from one other Another guy who, who dies. Yeah, and, and they spoilers. were like, he's from here, what... What argument have you got? And to be fair, even to that argument, and I know that argument is completely illogical, but I can understand the passion of it, so to speak. Now, the reason I'm leading down this case is because it very much pinballs right into El Reno, which is my favorite Spanish movie ever, having rewatched it. By the way, this director, me and you have slagged off Spanish cinema, probably off microphone many times. But one thing that watching this guy's two films that I loved made me realize about Spanish cinema is it is nothing if if not direct directly culturally informed by the culture of Spain like Asbestos is a very fucking Spanish movie it it would you not say so well I mean for the language what is it about the film that's Spanish to you ah that thing about the arguments about the land and the well okay, they, yeah, this is very point. very to, to galicia now but el reino which is about corrupt politicians in valencia and madrid is an electrifying movie but what both movies have in common is that asbestos slightly less so but i like i would say it's unmistakable in the director's intention that you sympathize with the brothers at some point in the film at some point not for the whole film certainly not for the last 30 minutes but it is his intention that you sympathize with him in, at some point. But the task he sets for himself in Re- in El Reno is to sympathize, to have you sympathizing, not sympathizing, but better than sympathizing, rooting for a dirty politician to kind of get away with it. There is a one-shot scene where he's trying to get some ledgers out of a house in Andorra that is like Hitchcock tension. Well, tension is probably better these days than it was in Hitchcock days, but you know what I mean. It's so fucking tense. It's edge of your seat stuff. I really recommend you check that out. Uh, I wanted to bring those up just because you were such a big fan of the beasts. I think the realm, as it's called in English, is even better. I recommend you check it out. I will. What's the name of that filmmaker again? Juan something. I don't know off the top of my head. It's probably Juan Pedro. It's probably Juan Pedro. I presume it's Juan Pedro. He's great, though. I mean... I'm not the biggest Pedro Almodovar fan, but he is, you couldn't deny he's a charismatic director. But uh, the guy's name is Rodrigo uh, Sorogoyen. Oh, yeah. He's a madrileño. Madrileño. Uh, The English title uh, for, uh, (laughs) all right, we get to pay the price. The English title for um, El Reino is uh, The Candidate, which actually, fair play. Wait, you were right, though. The one is, it's called... The candidate, the, it's called the candidate, and it's called the realm somewhere else. The realm is the direct translation of the Spanish title. Oh, the well, English title is the candidate. It the makes candidate. no sense in terms of the. And I always slag off Spanish titles for that, Spanish retitlings for that. But uh, yeah, because there's not an election going on, so it doesn't. The candidate doesn't make sense. But uh, the realm is an excellent, excellent movie. He's got. He had one in between the two called uh, Mother, which I have not seen. And I have no interest in seeing because I have a mother and I love her very much. 
That's the one about the kid that goes missing, no? I have that. Well, we talked about it a little before, but it's about so, a kid yeah. that goes missing on a beach, and it's a whole thing. It doesn't look like a lot of fun. Sounds terrifying. Yeah, it's not for Anything you. Anything with uh, missing kids is uh, a lot for me. Uh, I had a dream very recently that I took a commercial space flight, just me and my daughter, and then I did a... This is terrifying as an image, but it, it was what I woke up sweating to. I, I was like, we were having so much, like jumping around in anti-gravity on the moon. And then I, you know, did a swing on her and then she just floated off into space. Well, my main takeaway is horrible. that you must be doing quite well financially if you can afford this kind of commercial <laughs> space flight. My dreams do not take my economic situation into account. If it okay. did, I'd probably be doing better. Fair play. We talk about Live By Night. By God, I think we must. I just want to say this about the, about both of these films. They don't make them like this anymore for vastly different reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Because this film came out in what? It was finished in 2016, 2017. 2017. I think it came out like Christmas 2016. About five people saw it. Mm. No one has seen this film. I was I went on Reddit. No one. To Very difficult to find opinions on it. On Reddit. Yeah, yeah. Normally, when a film comes out now, there's something like about five, six thousand comments, maybe more. And it's not like, you know, even seven years ago, there were still a shit ton of comments on popular films. On Live By Night's uh, comment thread, there's 300 comments, which is like nothing. Nobody one of, one saw of them Live is By mine. Night. What did you say? A, a roaring success. <laughs> a rip-roaring success. I find just, Live By Night... Continue, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I, I might shock you here. I, I, liked, I liked the film well enough. Oh, I you did show me. I thought it was fine. I thought it was an absolutely just fine, functional film. I came away from it going like, those are some good scenes. It doesn't work as an overarching film. It has problems, but I enjoyed some of the action. I enjoyed individual scenes. And I went, oh, that's a decent film. But the problem was, the next day I watched Mona Lisa and I was like, oh yeah, that's what a film's supposed to there be There you like. go. Okay, right. But this is a big part in, of my point. In comparison, it's not fair. No, it's not it's fair. It's not fair. But I if found Live By seen... Night so painful. Oh, I know. I didn't feel that way at all. Tedious, poorly made, poorly written, poorly cast, poorly edited even, I noticed at times. Scored even. Um, and the food was probably shit on the set. It's difficult to look at any of... No, this is me being cynical. Like, but is Ben Affleck just a dumbass? Like... Come on now, you've seen his other films. I know, yeah, yeah, but that's the thing. You know what? When I was... But this is the thing. The whole way through, I was watching, going, what's the deal with this fucking movie? What happened? And you know the second credit that pops up on screen? Written by Ben Affleck. And it just made me wonder, honestly, because the problems with this, for me... Let's get into it. Fuck it. The problems for me with this started with a script. Like, I hated this movie on a level reserved for very few. It wasn't, Wow. That's it wa- so funny to me. I just don't feel that way at all. Well, the, here's the thing. It, but let, let me get to it. It wasn't like a fun hate, but it was, like, confusing, boring, frustrating. I think the best that can be said for it is it seems like the book may have been good, but then even thinking about the book lays down the first major stumbling block, which I talked about. This film is structured like a novel, but the craft of a novel is definitively absent because it's a film. Whatever meaning lies in Dennis Lehan's prose is impossible to recreate on screen without an understanding 
of cinematic storytelling, which I, after watching this, and particularly after also watching Mona Lisa this week, I'd stake that Ben Affleck actually doesn't have that much of, that much cop on of what cinematic storytelling is. He knows a good script because he's an experienced actor, but I'll lay it down. He should never approach storytelling and particularly screenwriting on such a grand scale literally ever again. Okay, let's just uh, let's go back and the town screenplay by Peter Craig, Ben Affleck and Aaron Stockhart. I've looked this up. He had help with Gone everything. Baby Gone with Aaron Stockhart. Argo was Chris Terrio and Air was some other guy. Air is solid. Air is a very well told story. Take you I haven't seen Air yet. I want to watch it. Um on your recommendation, but like Air and let's say something like Argo. Argo which had a script on the blacklist for years, which means a very, very good script that people are interested in. Tight, dialogue heavy. That's wonderful. <laughs> like I mentioned script not just on account of the structure. The dialogue in this film is at times fucking painful. That didn't bother me at all. I don't what which parts? Well, I'll say I got this two as well. Okay, from the so top of my head, not even from my nose. Argo, he won Best Picture, right? Argo yes, won Best that's Picture. Right. So he came off of the back of that. They were trying to get this film made. Originally, it was going to be Leonardo DiCaprio who ended up just producing it, but probably because the script was shit. There was a lot, but uh, there was a lot of arguments. There was a lot going around about it being rushed into production as well. But I can believe that. I think the biggest problem is just the Affleck's state of mind. I just think he wasn't. In a good place. I can believe that. But I mean... I just... I mean, that's I'm for not me in a taking po- it... I'm not in a position to judge his state of mind. I only right. have the but film that, to I judge. I mean, if, like, if it doesn't... I mean, there's aspects of this that just don't work for you that I don't really have a problem with. I can't think of anything off the top of my head that where I thought, like, that was really bad dialogue or bad acting. Sienna Miller is Irish. She's I mean, good. Right. So you like Sienna Miller. I that's, like three actors in it. That's funny. That's can you guess the other two? Gleason, obviously. Obviously. And the third is Robert Glanister. No. Actually, no. I'll give him... Yeah, he's good. No, there's another one then. You clearly didn't like Chris Cooper. I did. No, no, Cooper's... Yeah, but I didn't have a problem with anyone. Not even Affleck? Cooper's... No, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind... I didn't mind Affleck at all. I thought he was... was fine. I thought he was terrible. I thought everyone was decent to me. Let's... Because I didn't follow up because i was just so shocked by how much i hated this i didn't expect to hate it this much let me say that yeah i'm not a cynical film watcher. well to be fair i, I mean, want to enjoy a movie lots of you your hatred of this film is probably the more typical reaction to it what is most Affleck people good really in? don't because like i it. can't think of it off the top of my head now i think i mean he's solid in air i liked him in the last duel he's good in the last duel he is. Maybe uh, he's better these, at campy these, stuff. These are recent, though, but that's also like probably post... The way back, he's kind of playing himself. That's probably like post-dry out a couple of these things as well. So, yeah, that's true. Um, I'm going back through. I'm having a look. Gone Girl. I thought he was solid in he's Gone Girl. He's good in Gone Girl. He is. Then you're into some stuff. I'm like, But yeah, then again, okay, he's working for David yeah, Fincher yeah. in that case. Still, but you can't hold it, I guess. Yeah, no, 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 he's no. in a lot of shite. We talked about changing lanes the other day. He's fine in that. Uh, Boiler Room, I enjoy the film. I wouldn't say he's particularly great in it, but he's certainly memorable. Then you're back into like fucking Kevin Smith stuff. Google Hunting, okay, okay. Here's the yeah, man. Yeah, no, he does have a rough, rough career when it comes to acting. Sure, but he's I'm a very, very good looking man. 
when you get into his personal life and the amount of ladies he's banged, that becomes clear. But he is I, a hot I, piece of ass. I also like him. Like, we were talking about listening to audio commentaries. On the Mallrats commentary, he's super funny. I bet he is. Like, I liked, I always liked him. He's really smart. He's really funny. Hmm. So maybe I'm taking some of, like, what I know about him and putting that on top of some of his So maybe roles. this, the result, because, right, to be fair... I wasn't oh, yeah, thinking was, about was, Affleck as a person in this. Perhaps you were. Yeah, well, when I see him this on screen, I do a, think the, about him as a person, yeah. Pardon? When I see him on screen, I am sort of... There's a part of me that's going, that's Ben Affleck. Because I, thought, I, this was like a, ben I thought this was a fucking mess. <laughs> like, I, I just... It, it bugged me how much money was clearly spent on it and how little it works. But that's a big problem. This is why I said up top, they're not, they, don't, they don't make them like this anymore because the gross... Of this, this is a weird thing, right? This has got a, on Wikipedia. It's got a gross budget of ninety million, and then a net budget of sixty-five million. What does that mean? That's the difference between um, uh, production, 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 no production and marketing. I think because it's not on other films, though. It's like a weird fucking thing. More of them should have it because yeah, I mean, it's it the be truth. Accurate, sure, it's the truth, like. So it, this lost a lot of money. This made less it than made 10, didn't 20, it? No, it made 22.7. It is a huge, huge bomb for Warners. I think Affleck... I think Affleck had like almost exclusively worked with Warner Brothers as a filmmaker. Uh, make it, yeah, Gone Baby Gone. The Time was Warner. Oh, no. Good movie also. Uh, Gone Baby Gone was Miramax, but that was before Harvey Weinstein got done in. But then he basically positioned himself as being like a guy who went to Warner. Argo was at Warner Brothers. So that seemed like he was going to be in this sort of Clint Eastwood type space of, hey, I'm the guy who just now comes back and makes films at Warner's the whole time. But mm. I think Live By Night being such a huge turd. See, you're ju- you're that. just saying that I I you don't feel it. I no, feel no, it. but I'm, when I say turd, I mean like a huge flop. It's a huge failure. It's not that I obviously I quite liked the film. I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. I enjoyed everything about like the you know Ebor City in that time period of like uh, I enjoyed the sets. I liked the costumes. I liked the characters. I I liked the time period. See, there's things I enjoy here and there, and this is this actually even leads in further to what bugs me so much. The Florida sets are incredible. They're beautiful. Uh, that drive into the town, and then they yeah. never use them beyond that. Yeah, because it's fucking probably super expensive. Yeah, you but want exactly. Them out on the, the s- amount of money they spend for just one fucking shot. The and also, then there's this other great shot when they're detailing the worst years in Boston history, where this guy gets thrown out a window. Yeah, And that yeah. looks a lot super that realistic. There was a and very painful, and I was like, "Jesus Christ!" I don't think I've ever seen something like that shot so well. This so film, what happened to the rest of the fucking movie? This film runs at 129 minutes, but the the first cut was three hours. So I feel like you probably I mean, uh, some of the typical criticism of this is like, "Yeah, it would have made like a better miniseries or series or no, something." No, I'm not going in with that. No, because okay. I think the d- the direction is is quite incoherent as well. That's funny. I don't feel that. I way. don't think it has a coherent visual style. There's one scene where they're driving out. There's one scene where they're driving out to see the the wizard casino that he's gonna he's gonna build, and they're just driving through the woods, camera swooping around the car and and things, and you're just for me anyway in terms of cinematic grammar, I'm there watching it going, something's gonna happen in the woods with this car, but no, they just arrive at the casino and they're just it's taking nice advantage of the drive. location to um to show off the location and the car and the fact that they can swoop around the car, right? So honestly, the way 
for somebody who's cine literate, fuck it, I'll say it, is just plan a camera on a dolly on the hood of the car and film the drivers driving through the wood. Because there's dialogue in that scene. But then again, I like the dialogue the that was written for this scene or for any scene in this is... Give me some examples of bad dialogue. I have two that stand out Go. in my head let's, that let's I see. did. Right, okay, so one is... Let's see if I recall. And I, we'll talk about the Zoe Saldana relationship when we get yeah, to it. Yeah, I mean, but that's, that was bad when news. They start, but that must have been cut. Some of that must have been chopped when away. When they start, I imagine, when they start um, cozying up to one another, one of the things she says to him is... And what will you do with the power once you have it? I mean, she's just asking. She just wants to know what he's going to do with the <laughs> Come power. On. It's so <laughs> What's fucking... he going to do with the power? Jesus when Christ, he has it's it. terrible. And then um, you wanted her when he's to talking say, to like, his boys going into the shootout at the end. And this one really bothered me. He says, uh, "We're going to go in there like Roman fucking centurions." And I was like, "Did did you also write snakes on a plane with that?" It didn't bother me at all. Oh, either. it bothered the shit out of me. I wanted so them much to go in like Roman centurions. Roman fucking centurions. Well, that too. Roman centurions didn't bother me, but it's that Roman fucking centurions. It's like nobody You're supposed talked, to say fucking. Nobody talked like that in it the 1920s. It was 1920s and it was a book. Nobody talked like that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a problem with those two. Bother the fuck out of me. I just had a nice. I had a nice time. I had got. I got taken to another place, and it was all colorful and nice. And it was Florida, and it was the nineteen twenties. And so Sultana the was there, and she didn't have blue or green skin. She had like normal her color skin. I like and her I had, blue and green skin. I no, uh, you're a racist. Yeah, I, I like am. her. I like all colors of her. So <laughs> that didn't bother me. I had a fun time. Robert Glenister was there. He was He's nice. Good. Matthew uh, Matthew Meyer, the guy with the hair lip. He was good. Yes, he was. A clan man. He's like a crazy clan guy. But the, even the good actors are distract. And one particular Titus, shot, which uh, we'll talk about. Titus Welliver, include- he got cut out. He, they cut yeah, out, I like, saw him in the thing. cast list. I was like, where the fuck was he? He's in the, he is in Boston near the start. I think he gets shot. But he got cut out. Which is a pity. It wasn't enough, wasn't enough time. He's, he's on my Don Cheadle list. If, sure. you can, if you can have Titus Welliver in your film, then you know what? Cancel your film and just make a different film with him as the star. Titus yeah, Willow Bosch. Rocks. The Bosch film. The Bosch movie, exactly. Should we talk plot? Please. So the film begins with Affleck's Joe Coughlin. Having That's what her- you have to say, Coughlin, because you're Irish, right? That's he how says, we pronounce it. I know, but he says Coughlin. Because I he's- noticed that. <laughs> That's how they say it. But Jesus like, Christ. Fucking like- <laughs> Joe Coughlin. Your name's fucking Joe Coughlin. Uh, having returned from World War One and becoming a, a bank robber and stick-up artist, and he robs the poker game of an Irish gangster. I'm putting named this whole Albert town in my review. There you go. Uh, having um, been tipped off by White's girlfriend Emma. What did you think of Sienna Miller's accent? She's really good. Okay. I always think Sienna Miller is really good. I think she's a really good actress. I don't have strong feelings about Sienna Miller at all. She and seems like a this. she seems like a bit of a blank canvas to me. Maybe that's a good thing, but I just don't... Oh, yeah, she was in... Uh, American Sniper. American Sniper, yeah. That's weird. That's the first thing that I saw on the list and went, she was in American Sniper? I don't remember that. And she's good in that, too. The storytelling is so clumsy in the first 30 minutes, it's confusing. So we actually begin with Affleck in a hospital bed and flashback, but later we learn this flashback is from just like 25 minutes into the film. Yeah. That's fine. He's just a little flashback. By the way, you know what I loved as well. The one thing the that nar- I really... The narration. Voiceover. Uh, narration. Come it's on, the man. worst in this. It's the Mr. worst. Mr. It's Affleck. so bad. I hated it. 
Tell me what I'm watching, Mr. Affleck. That's all I want. <laughs> Benjamin, let me know what's happening. Don't show me, just tell me. He leans into the idea of it all being about an inside man, but the inside man is Emma, and this is revealed about 10 minutes Sexist. in. Sexist. You uh, wanted it to like be he's an inside like, man. It's something to do with an inside man. It was like an it's something we'll figure Wimexen. out. Like Kaiser Soze, and then 10 minutes in, we just see him put a sock in fucking Sienna Miller's mouth. Like and also, by the way, if you just look at Affleck's Wikipedia profile, for sure he he banged Sienna Miller. I don't believe he did not. He well, banged. He was everyone. going through a very tough time. He oh no, but apparently they had no chemistry. That was the thing about that. I don't think they do actually. That is yeah, a yeah. That was but like she said that they never got on at all. All right, okay, so maybe they didn't smash. I felt the film was going to be angled a little around their. Um, acquaintance and immediately felt it would have been better to see how they met but anyway because it's just jumped into lines like um that explaining that they had an inside man the all inner monologue which you love i don't make the script for me sort of seem like lego it's clunkily all stuck together and it can be broken apart easily the direction is just as bad in my opinion it's all swoops and helicopter shop and dollies and no coherence anyway joe is found out that he's used emma and um he's just as he set uh to elope with emma he gets the shit kicked out of him uh first of all by gangsters and then uh by his dad's mates played by brendan gleason something so reassuring about actors like brendan gleason and chris cooper and for me honestly sienna miller is that they just show up and it's like ah well there's a touch of quality there. Man, I don't feel that way about Sienna Miller. I do about the other two. They're great. She's fine, but... Yeah, no, no. She's... It's, it, to make my feelings clear, she's not on the same level at all. Like, <laughs> you can't deny that Gleason elevates the film in every scene he's in. Yeah, he's great. He's just, he's just so he's much just, better just, than the villain. Like, he's just being himself. He's yeah, just yeah. being the, like, you know, the... The most typical Irish version of him. Anyway, Joe's sent to prison while uh, Emma dies off screen. By the time Joe gets out, his father, who was a cop uh, and played by Brendan Gleeson, we said, has died off screen also, no less. It's this kind of thing that must bore and confuse the uninitiated, but frustrate those who watch a lot of films. Why waste Brendan Gleeson on so thankless a role? Why not at least show the start... Show the moment where Emma crashes into the river so we can at least kind of believe she's dead, which any moron knows she isn't the second it's told. Why didn't they have Gleason as the uh, love interest? He could have played a Cuban Mono, lady. you're being silly, but I'm challenging a film you enjoyed. <laughs> like, why the care. fuck not show a tiny bit of... Like, you for sure knows, knew Sienna Miller was alive, right? Yeah, but I don't know if I'd read that or something. No, because it's just it's just bad storytelling. Yeah, I guess. Particularly when you find out how she survived. How she survived was that was she very actually, she hand, actually hand wavy. She actually did crash the car into the yeah, river yeah, and, and did swim out. So they could have shown it. Considering yeah. the amount of budget they put in the fucking town in Florida, they could have shown her crashing into the river. What they should have had was John Travolta. Like standing around and seeing it happen, and then he could have jumped in and pulled her out. I would have given that film five stars. Yeah. Anyway, he gets out of prison. Joe Coughlin heads down to Florida to run Rome with Cubans. Uh, once he's out, uh, for Italians in order to get back at Albert White. 
It's complicated. The idea is to get revenge, obviously, and then... Um, Rwenge. Their, <laughs> their arrival in Florida is another moment of everything wrong with the film exemplified. There's this... There's a jaunty kind of John Williams type score as they drive into an incredible Prohibition era town set. But it is incredible. I said that already. Yeah, it's beautiful. It, it looks amazing. Down to the mud. They even get the mud right. And Ben Affleck sees Zoe Saldana and you know they're going to get together. The score is... This is the reasons it's exemplifying everything. The score is just simply wrong. The set clearly cost... A packet a script doctor might have used better, considering it's just about the only shot of the town we see in the whole movie. And while many films would have that moment where eyes meet and you know they're getting together, they usually include a little more scripting to join the lines. But this works more like an arranged marriage by lazy screenwriters. Basically, the second they see each other, from A to B, it's just they see each other, they're a couple, they're madly in love. You never see any development of that. That's, I mean, you're you're just so cynical that you just, you can't, you just can't be happy. I don't believe happy. in love and You can't be happy for two good-looking people to fall in love. And you don't like that they're different races. That's, <laughs> that's the other thing that you don't like. And I would smash both of those guys. Yeah, true. They're both that's actually true. hyper good-looking. Yeah. But, like, here's the thing. is like, the look of the film is The Untouchables. The Untouchables is a comic book, which I love. I love The Untouchables. Everything in it, besides the ability, tells me it wants to be something more like uh, Series 1 of Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, it does feel very Boardwalk Empire-y. But it doesn't have the grit. And it doesn't have the gall. It doesn't have the research. It doesn't have the skill. Anyway, Zoe Saldana, she's the... Sister of a big rub runner uh, down there. And uh, Joe, as the new gangster in town, must meet and befriend Sheriff Chris Cooper. (laughs) And his uh, daughter, uh, going to be a problem, uh, Loretta, um, played by Elle Fanning. Yeah, they meet her for five seconds. (laughs) Yeah, about to leave for California. (laughs) Gee, I wonder how that'll turn out in that moment (laughs) in the film. Next, the KKK show up and the film shifts into the playing Grand Theft Auto gear. Uh, One of the KKK guys is Chris Cooper's cousin, and Joe makes him betray him, his cousin, in exchange for getting Loretta back from Hollywood, where she's gotten into being a junkie hooker. She's done all S&M, 1920s S&M shit. Yeah, and Joe shows Chris Cooper pictures of that too, which is a very Uh, classy shows He only shows him two of like four or five photos. It's a very classic. He shows restraint. He's a good Um, guy. Yeah, so then he gets Loretta back, and there's this horrific clip where uh, Chris Cooper spanks her. That was weird. I do admit, I didn't get that at all. I was like, is that... Have you looked into the book? content. No. Well, I'll talk about it in a second. How how many of those books have you read? Have you read any of them? I I haven't read read one one. um, Dennis Lehan book. Oh, really? I've read all the... Um, Casey Affleck, Def- yeah, Kenzie, and what was this Gennaro. part of the series? Yeah, there's well, there's three of the Coughlin books. There's the Given Day, Live by Night, and then World Gone By. I read the first one. It's about his brother, the one who's like the Hollywood screenwriter in the film at the end. Oh, I mean, I wanted to know about him. Yeah, it's solid. They're solid books. I really like his his writing. 
I he also wrote Mystic River, Shutter Island, the Drop, yeah, exactly. I like a lot of good books. The reason I, I, I'm aware of him at all is because of the amount of decent films that have been based on his works. Plus, he did episodes of The Wire. Yeah, that's right. In uh, season four and five, the best seasons. Mm-hmm. Well, he did two in season three as well. No. Next in this movie, there's a bit where, because Prohibition's ending, Joe encourages the mob to get into gambling, but Loretta spoils it all because her father spanks her in a weird scene, and she becomes a preacher against gambling, but then once the proposed casino gets cancelled, she kills herself. <laughs> well, it's funny. That is true, everything you just said, but when you lay it like that... <laughs> that is go. accurate. I, yeah. can't, I can't argue <laughs> against that. Those are accurate... The mobsters uh, twists and turns. team up with White in the end, the Italians, um, but not before in a random photo, Joe has noticed that Emma's still alive, um, so Sienna Miller. So there's a shootout. Which This film's better when you don't talk about the plot. <laughs> I've done this so many times, I've convinced you the films are bad by talking about it. No, I mean, like, I know what this is, I just had enough fun i just I enjoyed watching oh, it bugged me so much i know it it's, is it, bad i know it's, it's that, not well do you made. know what i i'm starting to think these days it's that i don't have as much and i'm not saying you don't spend your time valuable but i don't have, i i don't have time to be watching like i i have time to watch like two films a week really. let me put it to you like this i really don't have time to be watching anything <laughs> so i it, it like that's the problem i suppose no like it sounds like i'm uh, you are a very busy individual. Listeners, Andy J. Ritchie is a very busy individual. Thank you. I want that on record. Yeah, Thanks. no, he fucking is. And he works hard and he deserves everything he gets. I don't work that hard, but I have a goddamn family that That's I have true. To you do have a child to, to care for. <laughs> and I, ju- I ju- like when something that we watch for the. Because the thing is, man. The good weeks of the podcast, when they're good, oh, how good are they? This is not a bad week. No, it's you not a bad half week. Half of it. That's just because Mona Lisa is so good. Spoilers. There's a shootout, which Joe wins, in uh, which he taught, like, a 10-year-old wrote the script. That's when he says, uh, the Roman fucking centurions. And then he goes and checks on Emma in Miami, and we get the distinct feeling, man, I bet her story would have been a better movie. But uh, I'm so happy that he didn't. I'm so happy he told her to fuck off. Though. Yes. Because he's got Zoe Zaldana at home to get shot. Like, he doesn't need to see Anna Miller. But then for the crime doesn't pay counterpunch, Zoe Saldana gets shot by Chris Cooper, who in the book, by the way, is a pedophile. Uh, he's been having sex with Loretta, not just spanking her. And oh, that makes more sense. Joe goes off. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Joe goes off to be a single parent. What strikes me mainly about this adaptation in this movie is that if Affleck got, which to be, give him credit because you like him and I like you. So if Affleck <laughs> got... Six degrees of Kevin Bake. If Affleck got what the book is about, he didn't translate it onto the screen. It's a mess. I hated it. Fair play. I hated it probably more than Chronicles of Riddick. Wow, that's mad to me. I can't... I enjoyed individual scenes of this enough that the overarching plot didn't bother me. Like... I could see that it doesn't work. It doesn't hold together. But I still liked... I w- a scene would end and I would go, I quite enjoyed that. I would watch Chronicles of Riddick again before Oof, watching this. I can't. I'm, I'm no, for, I hate for, Chronicles Because of the thing is, I can enjoy Chronicles of Riddick, and I'm not a cynic, but I can enjoy that on a cynic, a cynical level and just go, what a moron this I guy. Can, I can't but do that. Just I, such can't, a gar- I, can't, I can't hate watch things. Let me be clear. I would rather n- watch neither of these. <laughs> sure, <laughs> that's fair, but I can't watch something bad. But if somebody bad. put one on on the table in front of me, 
Riddick or, or Live by Night, I'd go Riddick. I would. Well, you're wrong. But anyway. That's fair. You want to talk about cast? Yeah, tell me about any of these people. I mean, how much is there to tell? <laughs> Let's see. Sienna Miller Affleck is Affleck is a is an alcoholic who has smashed everybody hot ever. He's uh, is he remarried now? He's getting they're getting married if they're not they married. They got married last year at his house, which is about forty five minutes drive from where they filmed this film. He's also been very frank about the fact that so he was married to Jennifer Garner, with who he had two two kids for many years. And um, he said that, uh, like, yeah, his biggest regret in his life, in a life seemingly full of regrets, is uh, fucking up his marriage and getting divorced. Yeah, fucking up like a like a fucking centurion, <laughs> like a motherfucking like Roman a centurion. Fucking Roman centurion. The thing is, though, is like because he like I've obvi- I've read interviews or profiles that he's given where he's talked about his alcoholism. Like he has had demons. Yeah, he did that real thing. I mean, he was drinking himself to sleep type thing. He yeah, no bottle of tequila a day kind of stuff. That's the sort of thing he was doing. So like when you when I watched that movie The Way Back, I hope I didn't comment flippantly about it earlier. But when I saw that, I I did find it really moving because except for the ending, the ending I think this the script gets muddled. Have you seen that movie? No. What happens at the end? Well. No, it's not the ending. It's kind of the thesis to the film. The reason he's an alcoholic is because uh, his his kid died. With, okay. Which I just thought it would be much more interesting if he was just an alcoholic because he's an alcoholic. Because oh, some that people more are. Interesting? You know what I mean? I guess, but then I don't know. The uh, the distraction of nothingness is just too much for some people. I, want, I think that's more interesting. I want him explaining in a voiceover. Like, <laughs> I bet you fucking do. The reason why I'm an alcoholic. So Sienna Miller got uh, cheated on by Jude Law. That's her goss. She's a very good actress, though. I liked her a lot in this film. Fair play. Chris Cooper. Chrissy Coops. What did he win his Academy Award for? Um, You know. American Beauty, no? No. What did he win it for? Didn't he win it for Adaptation? Did he win it? Oh, yeah. Good for him. Best Supporting Actor. I mean, I'm shocked. I, mean, I love that film. I've seen it at least five times. Adaptation is great. Big fan, big fan. And I have a very personal story, actually, about Brendan Gleeson. Did you know I auditioned for a Brendan Gleeson movie? No, which one? It actually never got made. Are these two things connected? No, he was facts? supposed to direct the movie. So my part was, and well, his part is easier. Technically, he's called a fluffer. His part was he would just sit on this armchair. And my part was... I would sit on this sofa opposite the armchair and just whack off. Mm. So I had to do like four or five auditions for it. <laughs> it was never made. This no, thing. it never got made. It never got the funding. But it's I would brutal. have been the lead. No, no, no. I, I do genuinely have a real story about him. Go. So he has a house uh, out the west coast of Ireland. Do you know, it's the sort of thing that we like whenever I go home, me and my dad will tend to have a drive out the coast or something like that. And dad will 100% of the time point out, that's Brendan Gleeson's house there. So he lives in this certain area. Mates of mine growing up were all lifeguards out the coast. So they would flit in and back from the coast to the to the towns. And my friend Owen O'Sullivan, hello Owen, if you're listening. Um, I know my friend Cormac is. So tell uh, tell Owen about this, that I'm sharing his story. One time he was hitching back into the into the centre of Clare, our county, and uh, he got picked up hitching by Brendan Gleeson. Respect. And opted to pretend that he didn't know who Brendan Gleeson was <laughs> for the entire uh, ride. So Brendan Gleeson would ask him, oh, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm a lifeguard. Oh, what are you doing? I'm an actor. It's like, oh, enter another scene. Huh? 
maybe, maybe you'd have seen the thing. Anyway, apparently... Wait, he was hoping that's how it would go. Apparently, Owen describes it that uh, Brendan Gleeson was happily amused by the fact that he wasn't recognized. Ah, nice. Uh, So he didn't want to give further details. Gleeson is the man. He's such a great actor. Yeah. Like, he'll... He's one of those ones that shows up in shit movies and elevates them. Now, you disagree about that. What's the film that he's in? Mission Impossible 2, for example. He's he's, in Mission Impossible 2. Yeah, he's the head of the company that produces uh, Bellerophon or whatever. John C. McCloy. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But like he is, he'll just that. show up in things, be great, and oh yeah, he was in Braveheart. Yeah, of course he was. He's good in Braveheart, actually. Yeah. Cold Mountain. We talked about that before. That's right. He? He's um he's the one who plays Ruby Ruby with the eyes Sh- with the eyes like Stop, skylight. He's uh, Rene Zellweger's father. Tues or something. Tues. Anyway, yeah, this film Assassin's Creed. Remember that he was in that. No, I don't. Oh, that upsets me. Yeah, because <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, uh, but he was in. Certainly my favorite film of last year and That's one of our, I assume, In Bruges is in your top five, probably. In Bruges, yeah. In Bruges is in my top five. He's great in it. He's a great actor. Colin Farrell's the man, too. Just throwing that in there. I know he's not in either <laughs> of these movies. He's I the man. I'd just like to give a shout out to yeah, uh, I'll give a all shout the guys, out to Colin all the boys. <laughs> anyway. Live by night sucks balls. Well, that's it. That's all your cast. That's it. That's, that's it. That's what I got. Okay, fair play. I got nothing more. That's fine. All right. So, uh, Mona Lisa, you talk. Mona Lisa, you're not an overrated piece of shit. I was a little concerned before watching this. I think I was remembering some of the Neil Jordan films I've seen. The first Neil Jordan film I watched was actually the follow-up to this, which is High Spirits from 1988. I've never seen that. When I was a kid, it was on TV a lot. And it was like the type of thing. It was on really late at night. It looked like it might have boobies in it. It stars Steve Gutenberg, Daryl Hannah, Liam Neeson. Okay, it's a fantasy comedy film. We're in trouble. So he has a really patchy career. He's, I a, mean, he's a crazy filmography, uh, isn't What he? the fuck is it's going on? It's a crazy on? filmography. I mean, after, not long after Mona Lisa, like six years later, he got... Uh, Interview with the Vampire. Well, before that, Crying Game. Oh, the crying game, yeah, crying yeah, sure. Games that was his explosion. Interview with the vampire in '94. Michael Collins, 1996. The one about NASA, and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to make that joke every time. I know it's fucking stupid. The you got to watch affair, it someday. It's a good movie. I know. I will. I will. End of the affair. Good. Good. Also thief, a good movie. Breakfast on Pluto, and then it goes meh, 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 meh. Yeah, no, he's one of the. He's one of those with um, sick boys unifying rules of life tacked onto him. Yeah, he's got. He's he's gone downhill. He's he's pushing 70 if he's not he must no be he is yeah he's an, he's an old something. man he's 73 but yeah. to be fair the two things i'll say for him is so his two early films that really blew him up the one of which we'll talk about today mona lisa and uh, then later the crying the game, crying game. The, you know those are direct from his own head very cine literate then next the uh, of what i genuinely think is a very successful adaptation of a hit novel interview the vampire uh, yeah, I'm it's a big a fan film. of interview. I remember the there was like it was hugely popular. I see it was, recall, yeah, and there was pushback, got, like Titanic yeah, or something. On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but it is really being... good. I've watched it a, a few yeah. times over the years. I think it is really good. He managed to sneak in um, Stephen Ray is like third on the cast list in that as well. He loves Stephen Ray. He loves him. And Stephen, Stephen Ray, Ray is great. To yeah. be fair, Stephen Ray is great in everything. He's not in this. No, he's not. There's no place um, for him. But then 
as like an Irish man from Dublin with a family full of intellectuals to successfully make now historians would argue against this and I know we're not talking about this today we will talk about it in no, a future I, yeah, episode we, I'm putting up Michael Collins at some point yeah so. yeah like Michael Collins sorry Stephen Ryan Michael Collins is an excellent movie why does Stephen Ryan not like it or is he this doesn't too like much? Michael Collins as a historical figure okay fair play um, it's an it's an it. excellent movie. To be fair, the film makes its bed when it casts Alan Rickman as uh, Eamon de Valera, and we can talk more about that okay. when we talk about Michael Collins. But he achieved, and then after that, by the way, adapting two excellent Pat McKay books, he achieved a grand arc as a filmmaker. It, like it, it genuinely doesn't matter that he's not doing much these days. His career, as it was, was purely artistic and very successful. I salute him. Oh yeah, and his 2002 film The Good Thief is a remake of um, Bob Laflambeur. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. I haven't watched it. No, anyway. Yeah, so like I said, I was a little concerned before watching Mona Lisa because I was like, Bob Hoskins, I don't know. It's got Michael Caine. I was like... "Eh, Even he's so good in it. I don't know. I just felt felt like it was just a bit of a concern. And then within the first 10 minutes, I was like, they literally don't make films like this anymore. Yeah. They just do not make them. So Complex tight. characters Car- who deep. also say things that they're not supposed to say. Yes. And make... And they do things that they're learn- not supposed to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do not necessarily... Although he is a good guy. He is. Do you know what's a mad thing? Like, we'll get to it when it comes to in the plotting. But like, okay, so listeners... There are scenes in this film where Bob Hoskins uh, hits women. And the thing is, it's not like... Man, the one at the end as well. Like It's brutal. That's brutal. And it's not like a 60s Bond movie. It's not supposed mm-hmm. to be okay. It's not uh, at all. No. Um, but it e- examines it because he's because his character is deep. They're examining something with him, him within him and his relationship with, with women, how he thinks about things. How he might have been fooled by the world. He's an ex-con. Clearly, he's a bit simple. Being manipulated. The setting. like Amazing. Just like the, how grim you feel in the settings. Of well, especially film. when they go to like the curb crawling oh, outside the train station. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's just rough. King's Cross in 1986 or whatever they're, they're claiming that that's why it is on this like street full the of prostitutes. The casting is... Yeah. It's like the fucking... 19th century or something it's out so there. grim i, I mean w- i I've, I've heard stories about that i mean i've heard stories about it was fucking awful around the station like 20 30 years ago 30 or 30 40 years ago i've talked a lot about um the deuce on the on right on the podcast which of which i'm a big fan the only experience i have with like grim train station life is when i i lived in belgium when you would want to travel anywhere you'd have to go to Charleroi airport so you'd have to go because Belgium is so small you get a train in an hour so you'd go to the Brussels train station and like you know for the center of Europe you're for the center of European politics not for you sorry um, like the area around the train station is the grimmest shit you've ever seen it's, it's like a fairy tale <laughs> exactly exactly but yeah the setting with this just oh there's a scene where he just is going around different clubs oh, yeah. and like peep shows and things around like Leicester Square, Soho type area. And I think the women are supposed to be quite rough. Like the film mm. is not saying 
because it's hard when you look back on something from the 1980s <laughs> in the UK. You're no, like, no, no, they're not going. Look at this bunch hot? of hot yeah. hotties. Yeah, no, 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 no. Because there's, there's one where she, the main he, lady's supposed to be. Yeah, hot. yeah, yeah. But there's one lady when he's on this tour of going around looking for this other lady, the one that takes off her wig. Yeah, yeah and yeah. then he makes a kind of like I'm alright, love <laughs> type response, which is quite funny. But I wasn't sure whether the film was trying to make out. That Isn't they were it interesting hot or not. that he's kind of directed? And it, he works. I think he's uh, Hoskins is quite charming Hoskins. in the movie. Yes, it's kind of an innocent fool. Yeah, Hoskins is great in this. I um, think he's brilliant. He was nominated for. Was he? Yeah, he was nominated for best actor. Academy Award. Yeah, Oscar nomination for best actor. Wow, this film went that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did that well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, that's great. I like to hear that because yeah. it is. That was the only me, this Oscar. Is a, the, the, this is a five star movie. I was a huge fan of this. He I'm, won. He won the BAFTA. He won the Golden Globe, and he won Best Actor at Cannes. Hi, it's me, Mario. And he was nominated for the Academy Award. He lost out to Paul Newman for Color of Money, which was very much. I mean, that's uh, like a, that's it. That's the Academy. That's like all a, hey, over, Paul. Isn't it? We know you're getting on. Yeah, you, you need to get an Oscar set. before you die. Yeah, yeah, that's so, exactly I mean, what that is. No, it's kind of bullshit. It is kind of bullshit. Hoskins is great in this movie. The Hosk. But it is it is just a... God, it's a lovely movie, isn't it? Oh, it's a lovely film. It's a did lovely you, did you not film. think so? Are you mocking my No, accent? no, I just, I just thought it was like a Father Ted type response. But yeah, no, <laughs> it is I, a bit, yeah. I, I did like it. I thought it was great. Gene Hackman plays a priest. <laughs> no, I thought it was excellent. I really enjoy. I, I like I said, the first ten minutes or so, I was like, yeah, they don't make films like this anymore. Mm. Him and walking it, across the bridge, for instance. When's that? I can't, I don't when recall. he gets released from prison. It's the opening credits, basically, and he's just walking oh, yeah, across yeah, yeah. this bridge oh, in yeah, London. Oh, yeah, it's like a beautiful sunrise. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's really nice. That was very Irish. The, the, my pronunciation of that word just gorgeous. there. It's but gorgeous, guys. He's the whole time just... I, I mean, even just him being a driver for this high-class prostitute, driving her around, that's like the whole first half hour of the film, and it just doesn't... It just feels so different. It feels it's like you're in slow, the world. Incremental yeah. character building. I was like, I feel building, like I'm in this happening. world again. Yeah like, yeah, like those good films that really sort of pull you in and make you part of what's going on. Like you're just another it's observer so in the same world. He doesn't have to be a perfect person for us to cheer for him. We don't have to know everything about her for us to feel no. for her situation. She doesn't like we don't learn her motivation until the last fucking yeah. fifteen minutes of the movie. Really, and it blows you away at the end because it's fucking rough. It's brutal. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's tough as an audience member. Were you carried the whole way through? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I enjoyed me too. It a lot. I like. As I mentioned already, for me, this is a... Here's how I work with my blockbuster crop. I have my rental crop, uh, and I have a shelf where I I keep the movies that I'll buy at a later date. Like, this is going on that shelf, because I want to show this to more people, because I think it's really, really excellent. This film was written by Neil Jordan and David Leland. David Leland also wrote Made in Britain for Alan Clark. Which is a great movie also, to be fair. And David movie. Leland went on to direct the Bastogne episode of Band of Brothers. The best episode. So this guy's got, he's got the chops. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> like, the best episode of, I think you kind of the agree best, with maybe this. maybe the, the best. The best miniseries. The, yeah, the best of miniseries of all without time. question. And we've got Masters of the Air coming later this year. Mm. The third Looking forward to it. Series. Did you hear Tom Hanks on uh, Adam Buxton? I listened to the first five to ten minutes. It's a good interview. I, I just I don't want you... to hear him talking about books. I want to hear him talk about films. Okay, fair enough. 
as far as I know, Buxton recommends some podcasts where he talks more about films. Yeah. I mean, I've I listened to some... I tell you one podcast I did start listening to is uh, Michael Michael Rosenbaum's podcast. He was in Guardians of the Galaxy yeah, three. Yeah. He was in Smallville and stuff like that. He does one of those podcasts, like very Hollywoody, where he interviews actors. Today I was listening to his interview with uh, William Fichtner. Oh, very nice. Yeah, and he was just talking a lot about being. He's like, I'm a char- I'm a New York character actor, and he was very much like sort of I'm a working class guy. I'm from, I grew up in William Fichtner is self aware. He's great, but he's not at all like any of the characters. That he yeah, plays. yeah, that's right. Because he always yeah, plays yeah, yeah. like an upper class dickhead. Yeah, like arseholes. He's not that guy at all. He's very fun. So anyway, yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, I'd recommend that. It's called like it's called something really weird, like Inside of You or something like that. Should we it talk is plot? called Inside of You? I wasn't wrong. Yeah, I'm gonna just fire through the old Wikipedia plot on this one because it's very Do short. Because it, neither of us have yeah. any discrepancies with it. George, a low-level working-class gangster, recently released after seven years in prison, is given a job in London by his former boss, Denny Mortwell. for whom he gets a rabbit. Sorry, yeah, that. What's that? All, what's that all about? I don't. I didn't get it from start to finish, but I was fine with it because it was like was he was up to his the... tricks. You're up to your old tricks again. I don't know. I was What's also fine trick? with the ornamental spaghetti uh, that Cracker had. That feels very 80s, though. <laughs> yeah, that it feels like very cowboy, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, all right, we bought these. They're <laughs> yeah. selling like cupcakes. Oh, uh, Cracker, God rest his soul. Yeah, well, there's a couple of those in this film. So George uh, blah, 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 gets hired as a driver and bodyguard for a high-priced prostitute named Simone. Yeah, sure, of course. Hoskins is dead, isn't he? Yeah, Hoskins died in, like, 2014. He's been gone a while friend of the show mortwell also wants george to gather information on one of simone's wealthy customers for blackmail purposes which is far later in the plot but still simone who's worked hard to develop high class manners and an elite clientele initially dislikes the uncouth and outspoken is that how you pronounce clientele yeah is it not clientele i don't think it matters all right clientele clientele i don't think it matters continue and he regards her as putting on airs that sounds actually. She's worked hard to develop high class manners, has she? I guess. I mean, she's from Liverpool. You can hear a bit of that. Yeah, yeah. Towards the end, and when she gets emotional. Yeah, I get emotional. But as George and Simone find out more about each other, they form a friendship, and George begins to fall in love with her. George agrees, at the risk of his own life, to help Simone find her teenage friend. Just a friend. His good friends, Kathy who has disappeared and who Simone fears is being abused by her violent former pimp. Uh, Do you know Lester, I'll, I'll, Lester I'll, Freeman. <laughs> Lester Freeman, yeah, yeah, exactly. Detective Lester Freeman. Terrifying in this film. Yeah, he's great. Genuinely terrifying. Young, a young man. So world, yeah, but also, if ever there were a testament to the um, uh, truism, black don't crack, good man. God. He, he does like look the same. The same. Person. Yeah, he does look almost the same, but... Just... But to throw in one thing is like, whether it be clever writing or clever direction... I didn't quite realize that Hoskins was in love with her until un- until a few minutes before it became crucial plot information. You think so? I mean, I just make that assumption. She's hot, and he's like no, a lone guy in prison. There are a couple of, but I think it's every- when it's the second time she invites him up to her. Flat. Sure, but like everyone falls in love with her. I think that's the point. Yeah, yeah, that's it. We're falling in love with her. Sure, when I think it. that's normal because yeah, yeah. she is. She's catering to something, and it's obviously not who she really is. I mean, it's part of her job. She's very good at her job. She's good at reading people. And yeah, everyone loves her. But anyway, that that was just me giving extra credit to the film, I suppose. George increasingly finds himself torn between his feelings for Simone, his obligations to his boss, Mortwell, 
and his relationship with his teenage daughter Jeannie, who is not a good actress. I'm going to go out on on a limb and say I would agree with that, mainly on account of the fact that she's clearly much older than the age she's playing. Well, thank God. I mean, he, he, Hoskins also kisses her on the cheek. Well, he, he she asks him to do a trick, and then he kisses her on I the cheek, that. and then she goes, "Maybe that's because I'm a father. I liked that. That was a good trick." That was a good trick. She should have said, that was a good trick, like a fucking Roman centurion. <laughs> and then it would have been okay. Then I would have been on board. Nah, she's grown up without a father, but she is, like, she's, she is quite childish, yes. Yeah, but I mean, she's also clearly in her 20s or something like that. It's, it doesn't... It was 1986. Exactly. She's People probably 12. Made... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hoskins is only a few years older than me in this film. Hoskins is like 45. I'm 41. You're obsessed with this. I'm obsessed with age. Rose I'm Marie obsessed Rose. with age and aging. If you it, listen, if you're listening to this, <laughs> every if, movie, if, if you're like. listening to this and you have no idea what I look like, Stalin Herding or whatever keep, keep, it is. Keep it that way. If you don't know what I look like, I recommend that you never ever find out. But just know this. At least in my head, I sometimes go and look at the mirror, just look in the mirror just to you check. You look younger like, than Bob Hoskins. I do look younger than Bob Hoskins, and I could still be his son, <laughs> or at the very least, you could play Bob his Hoskins younger brother. You could. But I am concerned that at some point in the next four years, I'm going to turn into Bob Hoskins, <laughs> or like fucking John Mellion from Walkabout. Like <laughs> John Mellion from Walkabout. That'd be a grim one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah. But that's my concern, so that's why I focus on this. You never know. Things start slipping. Maybe that's what happened to Bob Hoskins. Well, it isn't, because we saw, we've saw we seen him in other stuff. Hey, it's me, Mario. Old. Well, yeah, Mario, Mario. Anyway, go on. Yeah, so his daughter Jeannie's a sweet, normal girl who has matured hmm, while he was in prison and wants to have her, her father in her life. When Anderson stalks Simone to her flat and tries to slash her, he tries to slash out. That's true. George, that scene is terrifying. Yeah, Lester Freeman's chasing them. They're going down in the lift, and he's going down and like running his blade, his little uh, straight razor across the bars. But then they just he disappears, and then they go up into the flat. It's mm. like, all right, well, we're done with that then, because we just went to the bottom in the lift. Now we're going to which I up. actually liked. It was kind of a. It made sense that that's what would happen. To be honest. I think what should have happened is they should have come in through the old tunnels at the bottom of the building. Yes. That's a reference to the film Live by Night. George takes her to the secluded garage where he lives with his friend Thomas. Tommy. Uh, played by old Robbie Coltrane. Yeah, it's Cracker. The first time we've mentioned Cracker him. on Cracker's good form. In there. Cracker and Lester Freeman. The police... Like at police, they could have only got together. They could have cracked the fucking case right there if they if they uh, called on those resources. Break into this for a second because I keep making the reference cracker. Uh, just in case anybody out there, new listeners, as I know we do sometimes get any. If anybody is not au fait with the um, Channel Four show Cracker, it's about a criminal psychologist played by Robbie Coltrane. It's friend of the show, Robbie Coltrane. It's one of the best detective shows that there are particularly the first four or five because back so this is quite a break but i'll just explain to people back in the day so it used to be it used to be one case over four or five episodes over the course of a week and i actually think it was itv sorry but basically point being all cracker episodes are now seemingly freely available in very high definition on youtube and people should go Check them out. They tried to remake it with Ray Liotta. It didn't work. <laughs> Brand of the show, Ray Liotta. 
also a friend of the show, a great actor. The curse of cracker continues. (laughs) The curse of cracker continues, indeed. A great place to start would be um, Someday a Lemming Will Fly. I think it's the second one, um, if you just want a a real gripping one. You should watch it from the start. It's got... uh, Yeah, that's right. Christopher Christopher Eccleston. He's going to be fine. He'll be in the whole thing, no doubt. He'll probably make it all the way through to the end. (laughs) He should be fine. It's such a good show. It's so good. Um, Like, it was peak TV before peak TV. All right, plot it over, but I'm a huge fan. Yeah, so George takes Simone uh, to the secluded garage where he lives with his friend Thomas and then finds the drug-addled Kathy. He takes the two girls to a hotel in Brighton and gives Simone a gun for protection, but then discovers that the pair are lovers. Lovers. When Mortwell and Anderson arrive to take back... The scene where he discovers the drug-addled Kathy is grim on a crazy level. I didn't think oh yeah films in the 1980s were capable of this. It's horrible where he discovers her up against the two-way what is he glass doing? with some horrible old creep. I he's don't know what he's doing. He's got a glove on. Is he, is he I don't know. Doing some sort of anal something like that. Like thing. the film is not only self-aware but investigative of general sleazy. general sleazy grimness yeah, yeah exactly and that's the peak of it at that moment and the fact that we've also the, we know at this point that uh, Michael Caine's character uh, the rabbit lover is into entrapping politicians so it makes sense that oh, yeah. uh, Ray Winston sees her on the other side of a two-way mirror Bob Hoskins I am sorry friend of the show Bob Hoskins that Bob Hoskins sees her... Bob Hoskins is a better actor than Ray Winston. I'll say that too. But um, it makes sense in, in that context. But it's the grimace scene well, in the Well, they have like two-way mirrors and stuff. Because he would so Michael like, Caine like to entrap recording. politicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's rough, rough. But so, so anyway, rough. George takes Kathy away. He takes the two girls to a hotel in Brighton and gives Simone a gun for protection. But then discovers that the pair are lovers. They're are lovers. they lovers, though? They're Well... Simone seems to be more into yeah. Kathy seems because when they're at the like little chef or whatever on the side of the motorway, Kathy's like she loves me. Yeah, exactly. And also, what's the deal where she's like, I can only eat ice cream. She's a heroin addict. That's the problem. That's what I gathered. Yeah, I remember that from. But is that a thing? Yeah, I remember that from reading Train Spotting. It's in the book. They can only do stuff like eat like eat ice cream. They, they basically can't eat solids. They can barely keep food down, and like ice cream is one of the few things that they can eat. So she's, oh, okay. a, she's, she's a heroin addict. Because there is a shot and of, she's of just, heroin on a tray. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she... Okay, fair enough. I she understand She gets that. shot when she's with that old politician guy, whoever the fuck he is. He shoots her up as well. Is that what he was doing when he had... No, he had the glove on. He was doing something sexual, no, I think. He was doing something weird yeah, and yeah, gross. Yeah, he it was horrible. Shit, but it was he definitely horrible. she shot up. Appropriately anyway. horrible for what the film's about, to be yeah. fair. But, like, yeah, So that, horrible. I mean, yeah, like, the reading of the Simone and Kathy thing is, like, this one of them is, like, a young kid, maybe. How old do you think she's supposed to be? She's supposed 15? to be 15 in the script. And she's a heroin addict. And the other high-class prostitute, like, loves her. Yeah, yeah. Which is fu- which is <laughs> fucked is up contra- in itself. It's controversial. Yeah, 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 it's not okay. But to be honest, I'm sure the people making this movie knew that. Sure, absolutely. It's grim. All of it's grim. Yeah. When Mortwell and Anderson arrive to take back control of the girls, Simone shoots them both dead and turns her gun towards George. In a pretty good shootout, I would say, actually, to be honest. 
did she pull the trigger and there was no bullets or did was he just pissed off at her that she even pointed the gun at him no 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 he was just pissed off that uh, she pointed the gun at him because then he punches her takes the gun and leaves but i thought like maybe she'd tried to pull the trigger and he was like you fucking try and shoot me no i but like i think i feel like pointing the gun at him is is kind of enough that you if someone points a gun at you yeah fair. it doesn't matter what gender they are you can punch them in the face <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna hold you to that that's it i'm gonna i'm gonna play I'll the go on section the record with that i'm gonna play this section of podcasts while someone has a gun i'll say it me. again i'll say it in a clear Please. voice if someone points a gun at you doesn't matter what gender they are doesn't matter what age they are you can punch them in the face thank you i'm just gonna clip that i'm just gonna play that play that in court one day Anyway, freed of his underworld obligations, he returns to a more normal life, working in Thomas's garage and spending time with Jeannie. It's an odd wee ending, isn't it? It's nice. That's yeah. how it should be. He's like, well, I'll leave those, but that bizarre lesbian, <laughs> well, no, les- lesbian pedophile heroin couple. That bizarre ring of pornographers with which I engaged. Now that Michael Caine is prison, dead. Seemingly. Michael Caine's dad, Lester Freeman's dad. The wire's never going to happen now because they've changed the past and they killed Lester Freeman. So that's the end of The Wire. In this universe, The Wire doesn't happen. Lester Freeman. What did he do between this and The Wire? Well, let me uh, let me fill you in on oh, some of these Oh, we going cast? Let's do a cast. Bob Hoskins Hell played yeah. George. He Big was fan. written off as stupid at school on account of his dyslexia. He left school at 15 with a single O-level and worked as a porter, lorry driver, plumber, and window cleaner. He what? started, <laughs> but did not complete a three-year accountancy course. How did he get into movies? He spent six months on a kibbutz in Israel and two years tending to he's the camels of a Bedouin tribe in Syria. I assume he's Jewish. Wait, Otherwise, if he was on a kibbutz in Israel, a... he's Jewish. His yeah. name is uh, Robert Hoskinstein. No, it's not. Um, he's, it's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Like uh, it doesn't say anything, but obviously, I mean, he must be, no, his, his mother was a nursery teacher. Yeah. And his dad was a bookkeeper and lorry driver. No comment. One of his grandmothers was Romany, maybe on the mom's side. Yeah. I can't find anything in here. There's nothing here. that talks about his Jewishness. So obviously he, as you say, he went on like a six month kibbutz. So he must be. If Jewish. he was on a kibbutz, he's Jewish. He's Jewish. He's Jewish. I mean, it's a it's basically a Jewish training camp. Right. That's what a kibbutz is, <laughs> okay. right? That's good. We'll leave that. Yeah. I don't, there's not really much. I mean, okay. So How he, did he got, get into acting. He got into acting. Be, he just did a bunch of theater stuff and he was like, he moved to London, did lots of theater, did some Shakespeare, did a bunch of stuff. Uh, did some TV and then gone to films that way. It's like it's like that old school thing that people did a lot in that time period. They did theater. I'm and glad. Then that I'm led glad to hear because I think he's really good. Yeah, me too. What are your uh, what are your Hoskins Hoskins classics? Where are you in the Hosk? Jeez, I can't think of his filmography off the top of my head. Okay, I'll give you some. I mean, Long Good Friday. Oh, I love the Long Good Friday. I think that's an excellent seen that for movie. for a long time. I think that's so good. And uh, that, that would actually make a great double bill with Mona Yeah, Lisa. Should this, that would make sense. Uh, Brazil, he's in that. Can't remember who he is in that. Me neither. But... Oh, okay, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Of course. I mean, he's the lead. Uh, he was Mario Mario in the Super Mario Brothers, in the, the only Super Mario Brothers film that counts. I've never seen it. Uh, neither have I, actually, but which is worrying. 
Might be up for a toss. In we a, may have in to a, watch it. In a Chronicles of Riddick kind of way. He played J. J. Edgar Hoover in uh, Oliver Stone's Nixon film. That's right. Have you ever seen that? I have, yeah. It wasn't a huge fan. It seemed fine. It is... You couldn't make the film the way... No. Do you remember Hoover's introduction in the film? Is he wearing women's underwear or something like that? No, no, it's way worse. (laughs) It's way worse. It's so pointed. It's because no, everybody remembers JFK. Nobody remembers Nixon that uh, Stone's career kind of escapes this. But it's... So uh, Nixon phones Hoover and he's at a hotel with his his best mate who they lived with each other forever, clearly gay lovers, whatever. Um, everybody knew it. But it's Stone puts a kind of an oddly pervy, sinister spin on it, which maybe, I'm sure, to be fair, Hoover was that power hungry. I'm sure he was power hungry with, the, with his homosexuality, but it's just these days that shit would not fly in filmmaking. So basically, he picks up the phone to Nixon and then he kind of interrupts the phone call with talking to this pool boy going, Hey, can you uh, meet me up in a room in about 20 minutes? Yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, cool. That's great. So it's basically the plot with him interacting with Nixon is interrupted to reaffirm for all the audience that Hoover is a predatorial homosexual. Well, it's I mean, it's he was, like he, he was, you would not dead. see that made today. Sure. I mean, they can slander whoever they want post-mortem. It's fine. Anyway, go on the Hoskins, big Hoskins, fan. Hoskins, yeah, uh, what else have we got? He, I mean, there was a thing from the uh, Brian De Palma documentary I watched. He tells the story about Bob Hoskins because he was mm. slated to be the last-minute replacement in case Robert De Niro refused the role of Al Capone in The Untouchables. And when Robert De Niro accepted the part, Brian De Palma mailed Hoskins a check for £20,000 with a thank-you note. And then Hoskins called Brian De Palma to ask if there were any more films that he was not needed for. Hmm. Which is, you know, respect. 20 grand just for having your name out there. To be fair, Hoskins would have been great in that role. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he would have been fine. I think he would have been good. Hoskins would have been like the star of The Steven. only person that you would want if you couldn't get Robert De Niro. Hoskins would be like the um, Stephen Graham version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's like that. That's it's that version. Hoskins told The Guardian in 2007 that he regretted starring as Mario in Super Mario Brothers, saying that he was extremely unhappy with the film and greatly angered by his experiences making it and referred to it as the worst thing I ever did. He's spoken a lot about that. He was injured several times on set, spent most of the time with co-star John Leguizamo getting drunk to escape boredom and was not aware that yeah. the film was based on a video game I've until heard he all was these stories yeah, yeah. by his son. And in different publications, he was famously very unhappy with the film, uh, particularly because there's stories about Colin Farrell, which he tells himself that when he arrived in Hollywood, he just started saying, I'll do anything, whatever. Yeah, yeah. he would just meet people at parties and do those things. Right, you could see that. And um, Hoskins has claimed that Super Mario was one such an endeavor with him. Not a video gamer when he eventually discovered there was this huge fan base behind him and everything. He got quite angry. There's There are not just... Like, The Guardian is where you'll find, I don't know, many a type of salacious gossip, but he's given plenty long-form interviews where large sections of them, much to his dismay, are like, yeah, I don't know. I hate it. I wish I didn't do it. It's kind of the question that everybody asks. And it sucks, I suppose, as well, because it's the question that everybody asks when he was also in Mona Lisa and fucking um, Long Good Friday. Two classics. 
That seems like a fun time, though. Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo just just out drinking. Yeah. Mario and Luigi. That seems like they'd be having a fun, a gay old time. That's fair. Hoskins was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2011. He retired from acting in August 2012. On the 29th of April 2014, Hoskins died of pneumonia, age 71. He's been gone a while. He's been gone all nine years now. And still the iconic. Hosk. Yeah. For anybody who likes movies, they'll recognize him. But he went, he went. He left us, he left us young. Gur than you would imagine. Kathy I'd, Tyson. I'd still say, before you get on to Kathy Tyson, I'd still say that his number one movie for me is uh, Long Good Friday, but Mona Lisa is a close second. The one I enjoy of him is um, Enemy at the Gates for his ridiculous non-attempt at a Russian accent. That was the weirdest film for accents. All right, let's not get bogged down in more Hoskins chat. He's in Enemy at the Gates, because I quite like that movie. He plays a young English man by the name of Nikita Khrushchev. And a a young young Cockney, uh, a cheeky young Cockney. I can't remember him in that. He plays Khrushchev. (laughs) Yeah, he's Khrushchev. Uh, But I quite like that movie, so I'm willing to ignore... Fair play. No, I like it. Hoskins and... One interesting thing about that movie, this is interesting for podcaster listeners, so I'll I'll tell it anyway. Um... The Edward Harris character, Edward Harris, is a Nazi propaganda fiction. So whoever wrote that screenplay adapted Nazi. adapted Nazi propaganda. She, oh, that sniper he was didn't like, exist. Yeah, he was like they a, the world's him. greatest sniper. They invented him to counteract how the world's best Aryan sniper. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. He's an invention. Did not exist. Fair play. Anyway, go on. Kathy Tyson mm-hmm. played Simone. At the time of filming, she was married to Craig Charles, who pre-Red Dwarf was Red Dwarf, uh, yeah. a punk poet. He used to just go, he would open for people, like for comics and bands and stuff like that, I guess, and just do poetry. Like, have, you, uh, have you watched any of his Cooper? stand-up? No. I, I used to have like a video of his stand-up, and it had poems. He did poems. And it was largely about race and like growing up in England and, and that time period and stuff, and like how Liverpool was rough. But fair play to him. Red Dwarf is pretty good. I realize we're talking about Kathy Tyson and she's defined entirely by the man that she was married to by about three or four, three or four years. This summary does not pass the Bechdel test. No, it definitely doesn't. Did she do anything after? Tyson had a, a pretty muted career, but she was uh, singled out for praise for her role in Help, the 2021 COVID uh, TV film starring Jodie Jody Comer and Stephen Graham. Ah, uh, yes, I've heard of this. Help, help. Yeah, apparently she plays a carer for the elderly who've got Alzheimer's or something. Apparently she's very good. Anyway, that was the end of Kathy Tyson. Fair, you know, well, good honor. Yeah, also that's co-created by the guy who made uh, Utopia. Oh, wow. Steven Utopia. They're all Stevens. Michael Caine. Denny Mortwell. My name is Michael Caine. Morris Joseph Micklewhite. Born in 1933, he's 90 years old. He's going to die any day now, so just be prepared. I'm warning you now. Be prepared to lose Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Oh, man. I'd imagine he's somebody who's made peace with himself. I think so. He Apparently, he's big into writing novels now. That's what happened during COVID lockdown. He got into writing books. Good. Then I punch him in the face. I, don't, I think we, we must have talked about Caine before. He's been in at least a couple of things like... Um, Dressed to Kill and stuff like that. But well, he's one of those people that he's got star charisma, and that's enough that you don't really have to act, and that's okay. Well, here's the one thing about him I don't remember. He served in the Korean War. I knew that. 
I remember that. He experienced a situation in which he thought he was going to die, the memory of which stayed with him and formed his character. Anyway. Clark Peters, Lester Freeman off of The Wire. What a wild. Anderson. When he emerges into frame in that up above the pub setting. So cool. It is... I didn't. What, did you know that going in that he was in this? I did yeah, not. I saw the. I'd read the cast list. I was like, "Whoa!" I didn't know Clark Peters existed in the eighties. Born Peter Clark in New York in 1952 and raised in New Jersey, Peters moved to Paris to work as a costume designer on the musical Hair. Huh. While there, Peters received a letter from the FBI that accused him of draft evasion. When he went to New Jersey to contest this charge, he said. If the enemy comes to America, I'll be there. But I don't know the Vietnamese. If you put me in the army, I'm not going there. Much of the uh, Cassius Clay take on things. Yeah, yeah. In 1973, he moved to London and changed his name to the far superior Clark Peters. Agreed. He worked as a backup singer and appeared in a number of West End musicals. I saw Clark Peters in in a musical, Five Guys Named Mo, at the Edinburgh Festival back in 2010. Wow. He can, the man can sing and dance. Nice. He he came down the aisle at one point to bring people up on stage, and I was like, "That's Lester Freeman," and I could. <laughs> That's touch what him. I would have been saying. I could touch him. I could have reached out and I could have touched Why Lester you? Freeman from the wire. Don't you consider your life a failure? Yeah. Well, I, I could have got up on stage. I think actually, I think he was looking for ladies to get up on stage, and oh, I was yeah. with my XXX, and uh, I probably should Do you have know that lady. No. <laughs> yeah, she should have gone up on stage and done dancing. Anyway, Clark Peters splits his time now between a house he bought in Baltimore while making The Wire and his home in London. Be more, yeah. And I, as I know from the audiobook you recommended me, he holds a, a house like a bohemian and encourages people there was to, him, to paint and shit. There was Reg Cathy, friend of the show Reg Cathy as mm. well. They put the, Two friends of the show two. in that house. Um, Who else was in that house? There was a bunch Lance, of guys... Lance uh, Reddick. Yeah, yeah, Lance Reddick they was were in the house. All the sort of high-class, intelligent guys who were just having a, a glass of wine. Meanwhile, a uh, Bunk and uh, McNulty were yeah, literally were out, out on the crazy pace all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's living pretty a, funny. That, that's British. a good part about that audiobook where you see how like everyone's characters everyone was. Yeah, that's a, it is a, enjoyable. a plug there for all the pieces matter. That's right, that's the right. The audiobook the, about the, the oral history of the war, which is great. Last on the cast list, I've got one more person for you, Kate Hardy. Oh, no, I've got two more people for you. Kate Hardy, who played Kathy. Her stage name comes from her mother, Jean Hart, and her dad, Bill Oddy. Bill Oddy? She's a fucking Nepo baby. Good God. Old school. She went on to appear in National Treasure, the Channel 4 series, with Robbie Coltrane, actually. This was recommended to me by Enemy of the Show, Cora Bendy. But she probably just got into that because... Of the close personal friend of Bill Oddy, Alan, Alan Partridge. Partridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I knew that would be your only reference point for Bill Oddy. Is <laughs> Mr. B. Oddy. Yeah, I knew this. I knew that's how you would frame <laughs> I'm Bill sorry. Oddy. I'm sorry, listeners. He also did bird watching. He was one of the goodies. Mm. He did all kinds of stuff, Bill Oddy. Anyway, yeah, so uh, she went on to appear in a show called uh, National Treasure. You're familiar with that? No. It's about like a Robbie Coltrane. This was another thing. Isn't I haven't it Cage seen it. in it? Unfortunately not. It's not Unfortunately part of the is right. Treasure uh, franchise. franchise. Currently being restarted by Disney+. Yeah, yeah. Plus. They're, they're, that, which makes it quite hard to search for this other National Treasure show. <laughs> I bet it's, it does, actually. It's, it's okay. So Rob, Robbie Coltrane is a guy who's playing a sort of Jimmy Savile type. 
and there are sex charges oh, from okay. X number of years ago. It's dark, I think. Serious. Serious, serious. I haven't watched it. It's uh, It seems pretty easy to stream anyway. So Kate Hardy's also in it. Sweet. It was half a good week for movies. Well, I mean, you know, Live By Night. Someone has to watch it. I think we, <laughs> hey, we owe so it to Warner right, Brothers. That's the exact right attitude. I'm glad I have it seen. I have an opinion on it now. Yeah. There now are you very could... few opinions that I watch and I'm annoyed to even have an opinion. And Live By Night is not in that category. I've seen all of the films directed by Ben Affleck. I've seen almost all. And actually, Air is on Amazon Prime now. So I Oh, I'll, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. Watch it Super soon. Mario's available on streaming. There's quite a few things that are out now. Shall we do a tossaroo? Yes. I believe it's your week. Here's a 20 cent piece. All right. So, what do you got for the chopping block? Yeah, like I, I, like I said before, I was listening to the Blank Check podcast, uh, which I do from time to time. And they were talking about the film uh, yesterday. And at some point... God, I hate that movie. Yeah, well, they do too. It's quite fun, actually, because they're shitting on it, and I, I didn't mind. Sometimes the episodes I'm not a fan, but that one was great. Respect. While they shit on yesterday, but they did bring up Josie and the Pussycats. The one based on the comic. The film from, I think, 2000 or 2001, yeah. which allegedly was kind of shit on at the time. I, re- I remember when it came out, but it's been critically re- reappraised as a takedown of the music industry, which has only become more and more relevant as time passes. So that's my reason for choosing Josie and the Pussycats, because apparently it's decent. It just, people, pre-social media, people didn't know how bad the music industry was. Well, in the last six months, I've read four books by Robert Harris. My second favorite of which there's apparently a good film available. So I want to put up for the toss Roman Polanski's adaptation of An Officer and a Spy. A film which was largely <laughs> deleted. <laughs> yeah, seems. yeah, because uh, Me Too Still caught up there? with Polanski around yeah. the time he was uh, releasing that. I want to watch it a lot. No, yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. We'll see. Let's see what wins. So your options are 20 or a building. Uh, I'll take building, please. Okay. It's building. <laughs> That's amazing. That's such a pity, man. I was going to give you head. Oh, we were actually head. Yeah, yeah, I was going to go with the Monkeys Head, movie Head. Yeah, yeah, Jack, directed by Jack Nicholson and Bob oh. Raffleson. I was going to go with Head because it's also a musical comedy satire kind of thing. But instead of that, what are we teaming up with Roman Polanski's Robert Harris adaptation? They're both mates, by the way. That's uh, Yeah, I'm sure they are. They're, uh, no, they're literally sure are. They are. Roman Polanski wanted to adapt Pompeii previously. Rompey Pompeii. Mm-hmm. So what's going on? What are we watching with All it? All right. I don't really have a choice because the only Robert Harris thing that I haven't seen is the one that I think is going to have to be for me. And that's 2021's Munich, The Edge of War. I'm very happy you said that. Okay, cool. So uh, next time around, we'll both have seen An Officer and a Spy and... Munich, The Edge of War. Hell yeah. I'm looking forward to this. As am I. Airport novels, ahoy. Here we go. Well, it was a good week of chatting. And uh, I will say 65% of a good week of movies. That's a high percentage. Can't ask for more. Yeah, because well, because the thing is, no matter how much I did not enjoy um, Live By Night, there's loads to talk about in why it doesn't work. You get to talk about movies when you talk about why Live By Night doesn't work. And you get to, uh, on a week where you get to compare it, 
with a movie that so obviously does work in the way movies can, uh, you know, it gets a few extra points for that as well. Anyway, I love you. <laughs> I love you too. Bye. Bye. But that's not-